This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. Nate, I just saw you last night, but how are you? I'm doing well, AB. Uh, as I'm sure you know, we had a fun time last night. It looks like you made it safely back to Kentucky. So uh, good work. Ready to talk about some wrestling. Absolutely. We were hanging out with, literally hanging out with uh, the young women of Blackpink last night. Uh, we're all now very good friends. They're going to do a guest spot on the show at a later date. Yeah, it's called the Collabo. We're doing a Collabo. It's going to be everything Elite X Blackpink. Um, so yeah, look for our new theme song coming soon. It's very cool. Yeah. So uh, also, of course, on the line with us, Mike Spears. Mike, do you have anything as exciting to announce as a collaboration between this show and Blackpink? No, I don't. <laughs> Not all of us live in the Midwest and are able to drive each other, drive to see each other within a five hour radius. I instead last night did work for the show and watch interviews because I'm the responsible member of this team, not going wow. to not going to K-pop concerts on a Wednesday night. I mean, yeah, y'all are in your thirties. We're <laughs> <act> together. <laughs> we I were not about it. We were kind of, I was kind of worried it might be a little out of place, but we were not, there was definitely a way older and way balder guy directly in front of Aaron. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Taping the whole show like a week. Yeah, nice. he was he was with his wife or with a woman uh, who neither of them seemed to really enjoy the show <laughs> or have any interest in it, other than him recording every second of the show. Mm -hmm. Well, he also he also had a Korea like soccer I know, it was, jersey, I think. Yeah, a soccer thing on, and so that was interesting. Uh, a lot of just not the crowd I was expecting. Very diverse and interesting crowd. One guy in a Randy Orton t-shirt in our yeah. area. Yes. Did, did Randy it have Orton in our area? Did it have like <laughs> all kinds of crazy like vipers going down it? Like how shitty his t-shirts are? I hope there was. No, it was just the straight like RKO on the front and hashtag out of nowhere on the back. <laughs> oh, that's even more lame. It's not even ironic. <laughs> no, it, no, yeah, this guy. Very, yeah, no yeah. irony whatsoever. Well, well as yeah. a Lucha fan, I have to ask. So the guy who was filming the show. Do you have a portrait or landscape? I mean, landscape. Okay. I saw him do portrait a couple of times. Really? Ooh, okay. rookie yes. move. Rookie so move. He would occasionally zoom in on one of the big screens. Okay. Okay. And when it was like in the solos, so there's like four members of Blackpink and they do a little segment in the show where each of them does their own song. And on one of those, I definitely caught him like portrait mode, zoomed in on the screen. Uh, just making sure he got everything, like, you know, the up-close view of one of the girls. Hey, I mean, it's important to have good coverage. So I respect that. However, he shouldn't flip between portrait and landscape. No, absolutely pick, not. Pick one and stick with it. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, just a crowd I was not expecting. So, hey. But you love to see it. I mean, a lot of people uh, and a lot of people enjoying themselves. I mean, it was a fun yeah. crowd. The crowd Everybody was having fun. Yes. Everybody was having fun. Not a lot of, not any, like, people who were irritating. No. Just well, I mean, the the very loud, like, uh, you know, prepubescent girls screaming was, like, I'm not mad at it, but it did right. actually hurt. Like, I was in physical pain from that occasionally. Sure, well, but expected, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're going to go to a K-pop show, I mean, you have to account for some of that. I mean, that's yeah, like being angry at a baby for wetting itself. No, not mad at all. It totally added to the atmosphere and exactly yeah. what you want, but it did actually hurt. 
Nate, who do you think was the most over member of Blackpink? Oh, it's, um, I, well, I feel like the crowd really got behind Jisoo because she was having yeah. a little bit of an injury. She was That's having true. a back issue. So the crowd was trying to support her. Uh, but I thought Rose was more over than I expected. I thought, I thought Jenny and Lisa were maybe the most, the two most over, but, uh, the, she got the big pops, I think. I thought those were the biggest pops. SB claims Lisa got the biggest pop, and I just I didn't hear that. Well, maybe for the dance solo. The dance solo was pretty yeah. uh, pretty wild. Yeah, great show. Very good. Uh, everybody, you know, it's a short tour, but if they're coming to your area, got to check out Blackpink. I have to make sure that Blackpink is coming through upstate South Carolina. I did see that Jason <laughs> Isabel is coming through, AB. So yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Uh, if if you were in your old stomping grounds, they are hitting up Fort Worth. Two nights in a row. Two nights in Fort Worth? What yeah. the hell? I didn't see that. It was two nights. I saw they added Macau, but I didn't know they uh, did two nights in Fort Worth. Hey, yeah, two Fort nights in Newark, two nights in Fort Worth. Hey, Fort Worth is twice as important as Macau. I mean, <laughs> we now have that decided as Blackpink kind of controls the universe now. Sure. They now, are the revolution. As they are the revolution, we now know that Fort Worth, Texas is more important than Macau, People's Republic of China. <laughs> Okay, well, that's the black. I just, I just want to take a moment to recognize the uh, progression of this show. Whereas, like at this time, you know, last year or two years ago, we'd be discussing Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Aaron trying to get people to go out and canvas for her, and now it's just like, hey, what'd you think of the Black Pink set last night? <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know how many crossover listeners we have from the earlier version of this show. Like, I think we have a, a lot of people who listen to that show, who listen to this show, but I think there are a lot of new listeners who did not listen to that show. Maybe but, you'd know better than I, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, go back in the archives and uh, check them out. It's a much. Yes, it's a much different experience. I agree. OK, that's our black pink talk just for this episode. There'll be more in the future. <laughs> Make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. You can get us on our feed, or you can, of course, get our show if you're subscribing to the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Make sure that you're going on iTunes and rating and reviewing the show. And by that, I mean leaving us a five-star review. Don't leave us bad reviews. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Heya. Okay, we got lots of stuff to talk about. We found out Cody's opponent for Double or Nothing, which you probably already know who it is, but we'll talk about that in a minute. We've got an update on Fight for the Fallen ticket sales. We got some OWE news and what Shima's addition or his signing with uh, All Elite, what that means for OWE. We've got a Tony Khan interview that's got some interesting nuggets in it. We will, of course, talk about BTE, and we will absolutely uh, get into a horny segment related to the SCU double or nothing after party. Who's excited? Whoa. All right. I know. I think we should start with the road to double or nothing episode 13, mostly because it focuses on exactly one topic. The opponent for Cody at double or nothing, if you don't know, will be Goldust, AKA Dustin Rhodes. So the, this episode opens with Dustin on his ranch, and that's kind of the whole episode. It's really just an interview with him on his ranch, but it cuts uh, where he's inside doing some face paint as well. So we see a few scenes, 
but it's basically one long focus on Dustin Rhodes. He comments, you know, yeah, we can bill it as one last ride, but that makes it sound like Cody's trying to put me out the pasture. Uh, and he tells Cody, good luck with that little brother. And the story here seems to be what they're building is Dustin suggests there's a rift between he and Cody. And that a lot of that is based on how they were brought up much differently. He doesn't come out and say this, but he seems to think that his upbringing was more difficult than Cody's was just because they are 16 years apart, uh, different a way that Dusty was probably different when he was raising Dustin as opposed to Cody. Uh, but he does talk about how they have similarities in that they both left the nest and are doing their own thing. Dustin talks about leaving the Rhodes name behind and doing uh, the Goldust gimmick. And of course, Cody left WWE to do what he's doing now. Uh, but then he starts to kind of go at Cody a little bit, talks about how he thinks Cody is egotistical. He's not grateful to Dustin. And uh, to circle it back into the match, he says that he thinks Cody is making a mistake having a match with him and closes it out teasing, you know, it's only one last ride if he loses. So, you know, he says one last ride or is it? So a little suggestion that maybe he's going to teach Cody a lesson in this match. So, Nate, in general, what did you think about this episode and what do you think about the build to this match? I thought the episode was good. Um, they executed this well. It's kind of hard, I think, maybe to mess up when you have like the premise of old time guy getting into his, you know, wrestling twilight out on a ranch, basically presenting him as, you know, a cowboy out for his last ride here. Uh, the promo is good. Um, I don't really buy the backstory. You know, it kind of trades on the idea that there's this rift and that he's got some grudge against Cody when I don't know that I buy that. Like my sort of touchstones for the Cody and Dustin relationship are Cody's uh, induction speech for Dusty Rhodes in the Hall of Fame when he put over Dustin and talked about him as a future Hall of Famer. And then that whole like tag run they had where, you know, they were briefly hot in the company, like one of the last hot uh, feuds that the WWE had. Uh, I was going to try and not just like bury the WWE all the time, but I already did. Um, so I don't know that I buy that there's really this like animosity there. But if you take the assumption that there is, then I thought the promo was well done. And really, I think the AEW crowd and the elite fans are so invested in Cody and Cody as Dusty's son that this is going to play super well for them regardless. Um, like we saw how you know huge the uh, NWA title match at all in one got over. So I think this is going to be you know also hugely over in the building. Yeah, I think there was a rift and some animosity between Cody and Dustin once upon a time. I feel like I've heard one of them or the other talk about it in an interview. So Perhaps they're building on that. I think there was a long period of time where they didn't have much contact with each other. Uh, but of course, that's been healed over time. So maybe they're just kind of uh, looking back to that and using that as uh, as inspiration for the angle. Yeah, I seem to remember that there was a time period that, uh, that Dustin severed relations with Dusty. And I feel like that that kind of played into Cody and... I, I actually really like the kind of brotherly animosity because it's kind of well known about how different it was for Dustin growing up because that was still in 
Dusty Rhodes heyday. He was still making towns. He was still NWA champion at some point. And then, I mean, Cody's not much older than us. I think he might be similar to our age. And by that time, Cody, uh, Dusty, pardon me, was completely off the road. So, and I think that they have a different mother as well. So it makes sense that there would be some sort of uh, animosity between these two, or at least sub, like subliminal animosity. And I love this promo. Like this might have actually been one of my favorite pieces of media they've done for the lead up to Double or Nothing. I just thought that Dustin was a great promo here. I thought that him talking about his face pain, even though it, it, it's one of those things that face pain and like that, it's like whatever. Like I, I get it. But like the way he kind of started talking about it and him cutting the promo while applying to his face and having like the drone shot of his ranch. I just thought this was all all in all for like a six minute video. Like it wasn't very long. I felt like this was very complete and compact. And for something that they've been building up so well, I feel like this was a good capstone towards it, especially as now we're under a month to double or nothing. And we kind of have what I assume is one of our last matches added onto the show. And the first match they've added I think since the press rally in Las Vegas at the pool, I don't think that they, or I, I, the women's three-way was added soon after, but the first match in like two months they've added to the show. Yeah, and we're officially today a month out, or as we're recording, a month out from Double or Nothing. So here over the next several weeks, I'm sure we'll start to talk about the card more. But I do want to say this or ask this. Okay, this is compelling. It's a compelling story. But do we think there's any chance this is a good wrestling match? Uh, yes, I think it will be because, like I said, it's definitely going to be super over in the building. And work rate is fake. So really all that matters is the reaction of the people that are there and paying to see it. So, I mean, they could go out and wrestle the same exact match as the Cody versus Nick Aldis match. Um, uh, and maybe you replace Nick Aldis with a guy who's pushing 50. And the fans are going to fucking eat it up. So, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Of course, Dustin is a much better worker at 50 than Nick Aldis is at whatever age he is. <laughs> I, I think it could be good. I mean, it's not going to be a high spot intensive match, but neither of these workers have really been that. And if they're going to try to do like a Tennessee walk-in brawl, this might be a good match to kind of get the fans onto a different wavelength before the conclusion. Like I wouldn't mean event with this match at all. Like I feel like that this would at very most be third from the top after the tag match and Jericho uh, Omega. I think this could be fine. I mean, I do like work rate matches and Cody has been someone who's been spotty at best. I mean, gold dust. I mean, I'm not necessarily like one of the people that you supposed on DVD VR talking about main event, talking about go to, Goldust was having these crazy 12-minute TV matches, but I think he's solid, especially for his age. They could also do a little plunder since they're building up the animosity between them. Oh, totally. Plunder actually would make sense here because I don't expect much plunder anywhere else on the card. I think plunder definitely happens. Uh, Cody likes his like overbooked um, plunder brawls, I think. So I, I would be very surprised if this was a straight-ahead wrestling match. Well, as we know, the tickets for Double or Nothing are sold out, but we have some updates on ticket sales for the other announced shows, starting with Fight for the Fallen, at least when The Observer came out, which would be yesterday or this morning, Nate? This morning. This morning. There were about 1,000 tickets left out of a setup for 5,180. So, you know, about 4,000 tickets sold. That's pretty good for a 
Jacksonville show that we all talked about. We didn't expect there to be a big flyout crowd for. And as someone noted, more than New Japan has sold for the Dallas G1 show. So any thoughts on Fight for the Fallen ticket sales? I think, yeah, pretty good. I mean, if you pull up Ticketmaster now, I did a little bit earlier this evening. There are, you know, still a fair amount of tickets there on the table that people can go and grab, um, mostly in the, you know, rear two sections of the building or of the amphitheater. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, I thought this was definitely going to be a real test of what their appeal or uh, awareness level to the normie common fan that is probably only going to shows in their immediate metropolitan vicinity, uh, what level that uh, AEW has penetrated for them. And yeah, uh, again, I, the basically what I said last week, this seems good and not bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I'm curious how much promotion there might have been in the Jacksonville area. And if we're going to see them step that up to try and sell those remaining 1,000 or what? Well, they're actually in Jacksonville right now. I was following the All Elite Twitter earlier before we started recording, and because the NFL draft is happening now, and at least uh, Brandy and Cody and Hangman are in town doing like the festivities. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to kind of do a little bit of a local press tonight for this. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, 4180 in, in a week, and given the things we talked about last week, it's outdoors, it's in Jacksonville. And it's not at necessarily at a very traveling fan good time. I think that's it's pretty solid right now. And I think as soon as we see more matches, we might see the rest of the tickets get sold up. I, I mean, we're still two and a half months out. I mean, they're, I think they're in a good position considering that. Does it yeah. have to sell out to be a success? No. It doesn't. What's the, um, what's the number? How many more do they have to sell for this to be a success? I, I or is it already? A success. I think it's already a success. Okay. Because that they're, it's going to be full enough that it looks good. Probably going to be full enough that it sounds good. Um, I mean, they're not making their money for the company based on the selling the house for this show. So, you know, and in fact, the money for this show is going to uh, gun violence causes. So, yeah, I think it's already a success. Um, I did want to note, I thought that I was curious that the Jaguars were having AEW talent in for their sort of draft uh, presentation, um, which is, you know, I, I didn't really expect to see that, but I think that's, you know, probably another point in their favor. They're using their giant platform of, you know, one of the limited number of NFL teams to push guys like Cody and Brandy and uh, Adam Page. So I thought that was uh, noteworthy. I, I meant to note it on here. I will take the other side. I think that Perception-wise, especially in the lead-up to TV, having as many sellouts of shows is important for them. But I think that's just pure perception and and idiots on Twitter being like, oh, no, they didn't sell out here. But, I mean, the fact that they've already sold 4,100 tickets and it's going to charity, I mean, I think that's that's excellent. But I think like just playing perception-wise, being able to get a third straight shutout if you include – not shutout, sellout if you include uh, all-in, I think that's a good thing to show – health especially considering how poor some of the other promotions have done in that area and just in general if double or nothing is successful which i expect it will be if it's a good show i think that will sell the rest of these tickets especially they'll add some more matches and that'll help but this company really isn't even in the consciousness of most people at this point so when they run this show 
and they can build off of that, I'd be shocked if they don't sell the rest of these tickets. I'm sure that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. The other show, of course, that's announced for them is the Fighter Fest show, the AWX CEO show. And just so we can kind of set a baseline for that, uh, Dave mentioned in the Observer today that last year they sold 2,350 tickets. So they beat that. It'll be positive. And if they don't, it'll be bad. So that, that's, yeah. the, uh, that's the talk for uh, for that I, uh, I, event. I think that also part of those tickets last year were bundles with the pass to get into the gaming competition. So that it was, I think that's another reason why they might have sold 2350, but it looked like only 1500 were there. So, but yeah, and this is a, from what, from my way, understand, I feel like that this is more of like a sold show. So I think 2350 would be a good baseline for them there. Yeah. I think it's just the same thing that you were talking about, Mike, about perception. It's like they have to beat that number just to keep showing that they're building momentum and that this company is one to watch out for. So to me, I don't care if it's 2351, they got to beat the number. I don't think it really matters. I think it's kind of fake Twitter discourse um, because that show had the same top talent in Kenny Omega and also had a much more established brand in New Japan. Um, it, and in it the i think the more of the perception thing probably has to go to how the show delivers and how the show looks um if it looks if they make the most of whatever crowd shows up and um you know it, it's presented like a tna impact and you know you can't tell that the building's half full and it still sounds loud then i think it comes off as a, as a success if it you know is on twitch like it was last year and has weird you know camera color issues and uh, you know, just weird little production mishaps, then it will, you know, maybe have the same perception that this show had last year. All right. Our next topic is some news about OWE that's relevant to All Elite. It's not, you know, just uh, this isn't an OWE podcast uh, to <laughs> to Mike's great displeasure. Uh, Mike, uh, you want to uh, break down this nuclear convoy report for us and what we know uh, coming out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been a bunch of news that's come out over the last two weeks, starting with Shima's contract signing. And again, all this is from Nuclear Convoy. Please follow him on Twitter at Nuclear Convoy. They do a better job covering the Chinese scene than anyone. So there are two big things here. The first one, which has been tweeted out and is now known, is a, there is a big group from all Elite, they're going over to China next week. And that group is SEU, uh, Chris Mukigana-Harrington, and Jeff Jones, who is a former Ring of Honor. I don't remember what exactly did it at Ring of Honor. He might have done marketing or tickets. I feel like he did something like that. But the, the, the group of five of them are going over next week. And the big thing about this that's I think is kind of cool is that SEU might work OWE's Shanghai Great World Shows during their visit. These are, if you've seen them on social media, the outdoor shows that are in sort of an amphitheater that's in a very, that's in kind of an amusement park. It's in an amusement park from what I've been told. And it's the, these were the shows that they started doing before they put it on shows of their own. And I think that's really neat because not a lot of people realize that Christopher Daniels was kind of the first big traveling independent act in the late 90s. I mean, he worked in Michinoku Pro. He went all around. I mean, he was one of the first guys really to hit Europe. So the fact that he is going to be like one of the first big name 
American acts coming in for OWE. I think that's really, really cool. So I think that's that'll be interesting. I don't know if any of that's going to be taped or put on social media or anything like that. The other big news is as it relates to Shima and AEW, and the COO, Michael Nee, came out and said that the deal that Shima has with AEW has, quote, nothing to do with what he is doing in Japan and China. And we talked about this last week. Not really a big surprise here. I think, as we all suspected, this is more of a visa thing, just so that they can make sure that there's not going to be any problems with Shima coming over the country. And then Michael Nee also talked to Convoy, and mentioned that there's been many other Japanese wrestlers who have signed with All Elite Wrestling. No specifics there. I wouldn't be surprised. This might be like the Strong Hearts guys. We might be seeing T Hawk and Lindemann coming over. I mean, we might be seeing, uh, I'm trying to think, remember the guys from uh, Russell One that came aboard OWE. So it's just kind of talking more about just the overall Asian representation in OWE. But I thought this was a really good report. I'll make sure to drop a link of it in the show notes. Did y'all think of anything when you checked this out? Uh, well, so I mean, I- Oh, go ahead, I'm just really going to piggyback really off what you were talking about with Christopher Daniels. And I, I also think it's just kind of the coolest thing here to think about um, him coming up as, you know, the, the fallen angel and was sort of like one of the first guys that you would hear about if you were just a WWF viewer to be like, oh, yeah, check out this guy and what he's doing and, um, you know, in the indies. And for him to go through basically all the American indies and um now be sort of like part of a um pioneering uh initiative going into china as a western wrestler is i think pretty cool and you know i had pitched i don't know in some Meltzer hall of fame discussion that you know if you were going to pick some guy as strictly an indie wrestler because you know the 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 question at hand was can any wwe wrestler or can any non-wwe wrestler get into the hall of fame in this era and uh, you know the probably the first one you'd say is christopher daniels in terms of match quality and importance on the indies and i think this you know uh undergirds his case that hey you know he here's a guy who followed every different generation and uh sea change in the wrestling business and is now at the forefront of this one i think it's pretty remarkable sorry guys but the coolest part is mookie going to china to oh forgot mookie yeah so Christopher Daniels, that's great. Whatever. Uh, Chris Harrington is probably going to be wearing his hat in China talking about laser discs. To <laughs> oh, wow. Do you think there are Chinese exclusive laser discs? Oh, God. If there are, he knows about them and is going to be like searching them out on this trip. Hey, he definitely had a, a, and one imported from Japan on his Twitter the other day. Yeah, it was Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah, the Japanese Roadhouse. Do you think I, I have a proposal here just for any people from All Elite Wrestling who might be listening to this? Give Mookie a show where he goes through his media collection, just like a five minute thing, just put up on YouTube because that is some of the most interesting and crazy things. I want to see what Mookie collects in China because you have to know he's going to spend a day going to some shops. Like, I oh. want to see what Mookie's going to get in China. Okay, I like this. You get digging through the crates with Mookie Ghana. He's like the AEW <laughs> Nardwar, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This is an idea. I'm I'm behind this. Yeah, definitely have him scouring the thrift shops for laser discs or wherever you find those. I, I guess probably just on eBay. Sure. Okay. Well I, I don't have anything else to add to the OWE talk. Uh this is I don't know a little note whether it's means anything. I'm not sure. But Dave Meltzer said on Observer Radio this uh, this week that CM Punk 
was, quote, Tony Khan's first pick for AEW. Punk has kind of been back in the news because he apparently appeared at a Milwaukee indie, uh, I guess Silas Young's indie, and in a in a mask and you know completely covered and did a GTS on somebody. So I'm not sure that means he wants to get back involved in in wrestling in any real way. But there is this talk that I guess that's who Tony Khan wanted to go after. Obviously. I think they would be leading with him if he had had any sort of agreement with them because it would help with TV. So I, I don't think it's happening, but it could happen in the future. You guys think there's anything to take from Tony wanting CM Punk in the company? No, uh, you would expect him to want CM Punk. He also discussed this on the interview that we'll talk about shortly, but basically that he's an Illinois guy and he was obviously a big fan of CM Punk. I mean, yeah, he was an Illinois guy and a big ring of honor fan. So no surprise. And he would be the first person that you would probably go to as the biggest marquee name that walked away from the WWE and to this day is like, you know, chanted by WWE crowds as a sign of displeasure. Um, so that's not at all surprising that he would be on uh, Tony Khan's wish list. Um, but yeah, I think we've discussed this in the past. Uh, if this footage indicates anything, it's probably that he can't CM Punk would not be able to live up to the fantasies or dreams or expectations we would have of CM Punk given the time that's passed. You know, he's not going to go out there and be having CM Punk for Samoa Joe matches at this stage in his life. Um, but you know, uh, still probably a role where he can be valuable to someone you would think. Uh, we'll also note the guy that he GTS was sometimes AAW commentator, Derek St. Holmes. Okay. Well, I guess the thing with Punk lately has been like he publicly commented on wrestling when he commented on, I guess, Rey Mysterio posted a picture of he, Eddie and Punk uh, in a three way and Punk commented about how the match was laid out. And then he commented publicly on the ongoing issue between he and Colt Cabana in response to a Ron Funches tweet. So he just seems to be interacting or engaging with wrestling more than he was before. No idea if that means anything, uh, but if he does end up doing anything, you would expect it would be in a place like AEW. He's obviously not going back to the Fed and, you know, the ring of honor that he was in doesn't exist anymore. So that's what I would expect. But I just, I think the guy will just con continue to not be involved in wrestling and just fade away. Yeah, I think he'll dick around. I mean, Dave Prezak was there. Dave Prezak's one of his best friends and has been a best friend of his for almost 20 years. And I mean, him and Silas Young came up in the same area. It had Ace Steel, who famously was one of his trainers and part of the Second City Saints with him. I just, I mean, I feel like that, and as we saw in the interview of Tony Khan from Chris Van Vliet, is that I feel like you kind of have to ask this question. Like it's a boilerplate question. So I read absolutely nothing into this. And I think I've been on record as saying, I don't want CM Punk in this company. I have no interest in that. All right. Well, let's get into this interview that Tony did with Chris Van Vliet. Uh, to be frank with everyone, by the time I got back from Blackpink, I didn't have a chance to watch this, but I know uh, Nate, you and Mike have both watched it. So do you all want to kind of, Give us some of the nuggets that you pulled from the interview. Yeah. So it was a uh, interview done sometime. And it, Chris Van Vliet, who is a uh, 
Fort Lauderdale, South Florida entertainment reporter and a pretty big wrestling fan just drove up to Jacksonville, which is a pretty long drive and sat down with Tony for about half an hour. And it was a pretty wide, uh, wide ranging interview in my mind. Nate, did you have any like off the top thoughts about it? Um, so I think the one, well, I guess I have two thoughts. First, I thought Tony Khan was more, I don't know about engaging more. I liked him better in this interview than I did in like his Meltzer interview. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Meltzer interview, it, it, it seemed like he was doing a lot of, you know, well, I can't answer that question. So I'm just going to revert to doing the hard sell for this card that we just announced. Um, I thought we got a little more of his personality or just more of like a naturalistic conversation out of this uh, 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 interview here. Um, really, the one thing that I noted, um, you know, he's very careful to be diplomatic about the other companies and the comparisons that could be made. Um, he was asked specifically about uh, his ECW fandom, um, and he noted, well, you know, uh, we do things that are sort of pushing the envelope or kind of edgy on line, uh, which I guess is to uh, reference to BTE and, you know, whatever swearing or, you know, penis druids, whatever mm-hmm. might be the case there. Um, but that he again emphasized that the actual television programming would be heavily sports based and sports oriented and take itself seriously, uh, which is sort of what I got from that. Um, and he also, you know, sort of said it's going to be family friendly, but he noted not family friendly like a cartoon, which is what you want to hear. Because <laughs> right. you know, when you one of my issues with the other big wrestling company is it's, you know, it's like a car. You, it's, it's like a Disney parade or a Disney cartoon or whatever, where they want to put smiles on people's faces and just yeah, they don't <laughs> actually. But that's sort of the thing they sell and present to people is that it's this family friendly feel good sort of thing. And, and none of the details matter because it's just a cartoon. Um, and, and he noted that it would not be that. So that I thought was the, the encouraging thing I took from this. Yeah. I thought that he did a really good point of like when Chris Vaught brought up WCW, he talked about the roster inflation and how he's the one putting his foot down. And then with ECW, like what you said, I thought that was really kind of encouraging. And he talked about like a five-year plan where he was kind of doing the stereotypical wins and losses matter in championships and talks about presentation of this. I mean, he also talked about his sports media company that does databases and infographics in regards to that. And he, I, I agree with you. He came off, I feel like, a little better than the podcast I've heard him on. I mean, he is a very much a, he, he, he's a very enthusiastic person and that came off very well there and he doesn't want to be an on-air persona which he made very very clear and there was a lot of talk about programming here too that i felt like was between that and the john oliver comments i like that those were kind of more the more intriguing parts of this overall video do you all think there's going to be tension between this sports wins and losses idea that seems to come from cody and tony versus kenny and the bucks and kind of what we've seen on bte and their interest in little more personality a little goofier stuff you think there's going to be a tension there that's going to pop up as AEW starts doing tv uh yes i think there's going to be a tension i don't know how you resolve it except that i don't think it's like 
I don't think it's going to be like existentially threatening the thing they're trying to do. Um, mostly because I think you sort of just segment out, you know, this is the TV product versus this is the YouTube product. And I think the uh, elite audience is probably smart enough to follow that idea. You know, mm-hmm. they, they generally seem like they uh, like to follow the story that's being told rather than getting their own idea of a story that should be told and wanting the story that's being told to succeed. So in that, um, in that way, I think you can sort of have those things coexist. Maybe. Um, I also, the fighter fest, you know, event and the way they're promoting it kind of makes me think, Oh, you know, they can have their weekly television product, but they're also doing something interesting here with like a Kenny produce show. That's like a sold show with its own unique gimmick. And you can kind of have coexisting canons or, um, you know, uh, universes if you kind of do things like that. If you have, here's our weekly show, this is what we're, you know, selling to the arenas that we run in week after week with normal fans that like sports and then have special one-off events like a fighter fest or like whatever, where you can sort of say, oh, you know, this isn't in the uh, singles competition uh, you know, uh, a division or whatever the case may be. This is where we're doing, you know, special matches or exhibition matches or stuff like that. Yeah. And he made clear also that he kind of has been the one playing bad cop. He said that he was the person that put his foot down about not having a WCW overinflated roster and that ultimately the buck stops with him and he's this president and he'll act as such. And he's the final word. So I feel like that, at the very least, this gave me more confidence in him as the nominal head of the company because I feel like that, yeah, it, it's been an issue, I feel like, at least in what programming they've been offering so far. And, okay, are we going to get, like, the serious wins and losses matter? Are we going to get the goofiness? I mean, we have different people talking about, oh, no, I'm focusing on tag teams. I'm focusing on women's wrestling. I'm focusing on, like, the men. Like, it, it has been kind of discordant so far but this at least somewhat reassured me aaron in a way that i feel like that he's going to do that uh the one thing that i really took from this also is he kind of stressed this and you could almost play a drinking game of this about talking about a quality of life and the better quality of life for wrestling fans and he related that to his programming that he he notes that this is no better time than ever to be a wrestling fan but there's more stuff available but so hard to access it and this related back to there's a lot of lucrative deals that aren't just TV deals and put over shows like Double or Nothing and then ticket prices and then went on talking about not just a trip to a cartoon show. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And he also made mention about appealing to lapsed fans and improving fan quality of life by trying to get them more engaged in that aspect. And I thought that was one of the more interesting parts because this has kind of been one of the more on the record talks he's given about the upcoming programming. Tony, so, my man, if you're worried about quality of life, do not do a weekly two-hour television show. <laughs> so let me, Especially let me if you're worried about podcasters who have to watch all the content. He's not worried about podcasters. <laughs> he knows the podcasters will show up no matter what. Uh, I'll make two uh, sort of metaphors or comparisons um, that can, I think, be a reference point for how you have these things coexist. Um, wrestling fans understand that you sort of have to compartmentalize certain parts of the show, uh, especially when you have some variety or comedy or whatever on a show, like you look at a new Japan and they have 
humorous angles or humorous characters like Taguchi or Yano in the undercard and they still exist and coexist and interact with the serious wrestlers like your Okadas and your Tanahashis who when you have top matches between them on the top of a card, you know, are treated like serious sports, like wrestling fans understand that dichotomy. Um, and I guess uh, to, to advance the metaphor I had about the WWE being like a Disney parade or cartoon, you kind of, AEW probably wants to be more like Disney's Avengers, where you have serious life or death. I'm just trying to be timely here. Serious life or death, you know, stakes with the characters and Thanos and all this. But you, they're also like, the most mainstream mass market comedies that are being made right now. So, cause you have to have some levity to balance that. And uh, the, you know, especially when you have a fucking three hour movie. So I just, I, I don't think the tension is, has to be so severe or you have to act like, you know, this, because this is a sport, this has to be, you know, a funeral home. Like there's going to be, I think some, uh, some variation just because, you know, if it's two hour TV, especially you have to just sort of like mix up the energy occasionally. Yeah, there was a lot of talk this week, and it was started by uh, Rich Craig and Joe Lanza at uh, Voices of Wrestling about whether wrestling needs to be a variety show, and a lot of talk about, I guess, a fear that AEW is going to bleed more into the BTE style comedy. A lot of this was coming off the heels of, or coming on the heels of the librarian bit which you're going to get to in the in the bte recap and I, I guess a few things about that one nate is exactly right that like there's lots of wrestling around the world that features comedy in the undercard but exactly like you said when when they interact with the serious wrestlers they they do serious things and so it's not really a variety show in that way because there's not talk show segments and the shit like wwe does but you do have to, you can't just do eight work rate matches in a row. No. Right? Like that gets, not only is it boring, but it exhausts you as a fan. And it's not and that it you make, need. It makes each one of them mean less. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say, it's not that you need a, a piss break. It's just that your brain needs a break. It's like, <laughs> you're, you can't just focus on that uh, all that time. And you're exactly right, Nate, that it's like, I just can't continue to care about it if that's all that's presented to me. It's like I'm in like the the biggest um, down. I don't know what the word I'm trying to use here, but I'm less interested in New Japan right now than I've ever been since I got into it. And it's just because the house style has started to bore me because a lot of the matches are the same style. And so I do want to see an AEW some some differences, you know, some I'm excited that they've got a lot of they've got some high flyers. They've got some guys who are going to be doing plunder stuff. They've got guys who are going to be doing work rate style and they've got guys who can be. It's not about doing comedy. It's just about uh, the levity that that Mike was talking about a second ago. So I don't know. I guess the biggest thing here is and this is easy coming from people who have done what, 14 or 15 episodes about a uh product that doesn't have uh actual tv content yet <laughs> but uh everybody is is dying to talk about what aew is and we don't know yet so like we're gonna have to just sit back and see what the tv looks like and in, until then it's really hard to 
A, it's hard to know who's going to win out in this tension that we've been talking about, uh, although I think it's going to be Tony Khan. Yeah. Uh, but but B, it's hard to criticize it when, uh, you know, we don't even know that that's what it's going to look like. Yeah, and if they need someone to bring in levity on this program, I have the perfect guy, and he's somewhat affiliated. Bring in Hollywood stalker Chikawa. <laughs> that's a veto for me. I'm going to veto that one. That's I, too far out there. I, I wow. mean, stalker's humor is universal. I mean, he's a weakling that tries to go for a German suplex and people sits down on them. I mean, bring over Don Fuji with them too. Just have them go out there every week and have a combat match. It'll be great. I promise. So, I mean, uh, if, we're, if we're selling our favorite comedic wrestlers, I, they should bring in Natsu Sumire. Yeah. Uh, have her... But she's not, she's not a comedy. She doesn't break the fiction. She's just a very funny character unto herself. I mean, yeah. soccer doesn't either. His costume kind of does. Because that kind of breaks the fiction for me. Do you just not like his, his tummy hole? Like the whole first time? Yeah, that that <laughs> that just kind of, yeah, that, that pushes it over into something else. For okay, me. that's fair. That's fair. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about this uh, interview. And I know that this was something that kind of floated around when they talk about Tony Khan. And this was talking about business practices and contract status. And I thought it was kind of interesting on that. Tony seemed somewhat familiar, but not really familiar. And some of this is also on Van Vliet for not pushing certain questions. I feel like the three of us would have pushed, like there was no mention at all about independent contractor status on this. They, they kind of talked around it, but there was no direct question there. And he really here focused about quality of life and then talking about people who are using their out of ring skills to help out the company and in other ways. And those are the ones who are going to get full-time status. And I was just wondering what your opinion about this as their way. And I mean, this has been a really kind of contentious issue amongst wrestling is about independent contractor, full-time status, becoming full-time employees. And this is kind of seems to be at least the way that when when asked about John Oliver and WWE, how he kind of, I guess, answered the question. I was wondering what y'all's opinion was on that. I don't think this was any different than what we've pretty much heard from them before, which is that um, the, you know, the people that will be getting full health benefits and be considered full-time employees are the people that will also have office roles. Um, he did not talk about the people under that threshold. Um, but, Again, does uh, you know uh, nothing here suggested other than what we've concluded previously, which is that maybe the people that aren't full time will be able to go and you know do dates elsewhere and follow what they want to do or promote elsewhere, like with uh, you know MJF and MLW or Joey Janela produce, promoting shows with GCW. Um, so yeah, I didn't didn't really hear anything different than what he's been saying um except that he you know again he was emphasizing you know we want to attract wrestlers with uh the quality of life that they would have here uh primarily by not having them on the road a zillion days a year uh but still paying them you know major league money yeah i mean i would love for every wrestler to have the full benefits of employment but as long as you're not dictating how and when and where you work like WWE does. There's nothing at least legally wrong with, uh, you know, bringing in guys and paying them on a per day basis and letting them work elsewhere. So I don't have any problem with it. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like kind of what we expected, but it is crystallizing, I guess, that 
only the guys who have office roles are going to be uh, the full-time employees and everybody else is going to be on a per date deal probably. Yeah. And if they are going to be true independent contractors and like the honest IRS uh, 20 point list of what is an independent contractor, then I guess I wouldn't have as much of a problem there, but it seems like this was the first time that Tony was directly or indirectly asked about that. So I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts were on this. Uh, Nate, was there anything else from this interview that kind of, uh, kind of this piqued, piqued your interest? Um, no, I, uh, the stand-up portion, the interview guy did at the end in the parking lot, uh, aggravated me cause it was very, uh, <laughs> YouTube, very YouTube core to me. That's like the, I'm, uh, just because of my age, I guess I'm like, uh, opposed to the sort of YouTube, hey, I'm talking at the camera, and this is me talking at the camera sort of thing. Yeah, you weren't uh, a fan of his watch? Uh, I was just going to say his watch promo where he tried to sneak <laughs> that in is like a naturalistic thing. Yeah. Throw me up a fucking wall. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch Yeah, Yeah, no, just so watch the last few minutes, Aaron. Just watch his watch promo. <laughs> I mean, it seems, you know, it, 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 it's probably exactly what I would be doing if I were, you know, pursuing YouTube videos as like a outlet because that seems like the way you do it but as a person who doesn't do that it fucking drove me insane that's fair all right we got some updates on how wwe is dealing with talent releases and that will be relevant to aew of course the dustin Rhodes thing he released a statement that basically it looked like he went behind the scenes asked for his release denied that he asked for his release and ultimately got it on his terms now that's interesting because we saw a similar thing happen with um, Mike and Maria Canellis slash Bennett. And it seemed that that didn't help their case that they denied it publicly. Uh, similar with uh, how it all went down with the revival. But then we see Luke Harper obviously publicly asked for his release. And the report from Dave Meltzer in the observer was that not only did WWE deny his request for a release. They tacked on six extra months to his contract because he missed time with injury. The other report on uh, Sasha Banks seemed to be that she's going to have to sit out the rest of her deal if that's what she wants to do. Now, I think the Luke Harper thing is interesting because this is a real inflection point in what could happen with litigation with WWE surrounding this insane tactic of tacking on time to contract when people are out for injuries. Think about any sports league. If a baseball player misses the season, it doesn't mean that he has to stay on that team for another season. I mean, it's insane. And so I would love to see, I don't know how, how much uh, the cons want to get into this, but if somebody challenged this, I don't think they would have much trouble. And I would, I was hoping that Rey Mysterio would do it or Daniel Bryan would do it. Uh, but I would love to see somebody get behind Luke Harper and let him challenge this uh, because uh, not only is it insane, but it's going to affect a lot more people as they continue to be unhappy with WWE and there are real places they could go uh, to make money. Yeah, this stinks for Luke Harper. A for lot. sure. Like, he's like fucked. Like, he has to go and do house show jobs for another year until next year is WrestleMania now when he doesn't want to be there and they're not going to use him for anything. And uh, he's old, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not a spring chicken. Um, but yeah, this is the exact sort of policy contract policy that we've specifically identified, or maybe that was on the other podcast I did. Um, just, <laughs> just being just absolute shit. Um, I don't know what else, you know, it's basically at Vince McMahon's whim if he's going to let these guys go or, or try and, you know, lock them into one of these deals and, you know, dare somebody to challenge them. While um, saying that they are independent contractors. Yeah. yeah that's while, while, while George Berrios is publicly declaring to stockholders that, oh, yeah, you know, we only want people to be there if they want to be there. You know, if uh, the, the parties want to separate, then we know we're not trying to hold anybody to anything. Okay, sure. Um, are you ready to walk back your Sasha Banks take from last week, Aaron? I am not. Okay. Another big whiff, big whiff out of you. So I guess the reason it comes off weird for me is that it is an employer side take, right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, I'm just, I, all I was doing was giving what my thought would be if I were on that side, if I were thinking about employing this person, that would be my concern about her. That's okay. okay. That's what I was saying. All right. I stand by that. I, I think of course I would love to see her wrestling Hikaru Shida. Yeah. I mean, that would rule. I mean, she's already been friends with, uh, and she's taken Shima's move. I mean, I'd like to see what ideas Shima might have with her to do some tours of OWE as well. Yeah. I mean, in reality, I would like to see her wrestling. Yeah. Manabe. I mean, um, so I'd love to see her go do some stardom tours. But if she was going to AEW, there's lots of good matches there for her, too. Right. Uh, I guess. A thing that struck me about this new round of Discord is WWE does not want anyone to rock the boat whatsoever. I mean, look at Dean Ambrose, look at Dustin Rhodes. They said absolutely nothing. They didn't make any fuss, and there was no bullshit. There was no, oh, you were hurt here when that was the case. I mean, I mean, Dean Ambrose was injured for a lot of the last few years of his contract. Like they want people to be good soldiers and just play out their time. And if you don't, then you are going to get smacked down with their ridiculous contract that should be invalidated in court. But people are too afraid of their crazy lawyer whose name is slipping in my mind right now. But yeah, no, this yeah, is I'm us. not going to call him crazy on the record. Well, I didn't name him. I, I did not. not I am not as based as Tam Nakano fan. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> There's this real myth out there. I think it's a myth that Vince loves these people who challenge him. Right. And it's the same thing. There's a similar myth out there about Donald Trump from his time, uh, especially in business. But as we've seen publicly in uh, these uh, goings on, but also as we've seen in recent publications about uh, things that go on with the president, he doesn't actually want people to question him or challenge him. Neither of them do. And so when they do, they're just going to, when you do that, they're going to come down on you harder. So are there people who've gotten to a situation where they had a relationship with Vince that they could question things and challenge them and get some success out of that? Sure. But look at the major people who we know really challenged him on things. Guys like Steve Austin, who ended up leaving the company for, you know, just left TV one night. A guy like CM Punk, who similarly just left the company. I mean, you have to do what he wants you to do. Even Chris Jericho, when he started taking more New Japan bookings that Vince didn't like, uh, Vince throws him off a show, right? So I, I think 
that is a myth that persists that uh, people still talk about it as if it's real, that he, they just want people to uh, grab the brass ring, you know, and, and question him and stick stick up for themselves. But it's what Mike said. They want uh, yes men and loyal soldiers. And uh, they've gotten stuck in this place for so long where there was no competition. The workers had no leverage so they could keep their uh, foot on their throats. And now they're, we're going to see if they are going to adjust to this new paradigm. And I don't think they are so far, but we'll see what happens. And just to kind of like, as you all know more about this than I would, the only time this has been challenged was in the early 2000s. And it was thrown out of court, not because they were right. It was thrown out of court because of term limitations, right? Yeah, there's a, a lawsuit with Raven and some other guys. Yeah, him and Mike Sanders, right? Yeah. And yes, they were like several years too late, but it was one of the only groups of people who have challenged it. Now, there are some other cases out there like I think it was Daphne who had a workers' compensation claim against TNA. Yeah. And uh, the court ultimately ruled that she was entitled or I shouldn't say that there was an expectation. The court was about to rule that she was entitled to the benefits of employment. And in that case was settled. That's how I recall it. I'm not looking at notes or anything related to that right now. So anything, when you get close, they WWE folds. There's like the Brock Lesnar litigation when Brock left and went to work in New Japan and they tried to stop him from working New Japan. And Brock said, fuck off. You know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, that resolved instead of actually pushing that to a decision because they know what's coming down the pike if someone actually has the resources to challenge them and takes them all the way. Because WWE, like any uh, big, awful company, will try to bury you with resources and because they know they can bankrupt you before you bankrupt them. But the reality is, if someone did have the resources that could push them all the way, uh, WWE would uh, ultimately have to pay these people like employees or, or radically change their uh, business model. So... That is uh, some WWE labor uh, labor law talk. So some Starcast notes. Not really a Starcast podcast, but sometimes it's interesting. I don't know. I think I think Conrad might be good now. <laughs> Conrad's been going off. Yeah, yeah. He's I, I was. I really loved the note in the Observer that. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is like they've added some people and lost some people. Some of the people they lost for Starcast were Undertaker and Kurt Angle who WWE basically pulled from the event. And Conrad asked as a make good that they give him Vince McMahon, Triple H, or Stephanie McMahon. And probably like the uh, biggest balls part of it was that he was like, we'll give all the money from their signing to uh, Connor's Cure. Not only that, Conrad would personally match that number. uh, So they would, you know, give some huge amount of money to Connor's Cure. So uh, very funny. And it does make Conrad kind of good, but he also sells mortgages. So, oh fuck! <laughs> not I'm not a fan of lenders, uh, as you heard earlier. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, and but I mean, this is a, coming a week after he was declared gang affiliated. East Block, MDK, hate club That's all day. True. Uh, MDK all day. Um, so I, it, it, it's very you know, if there's any mortgage lender out there, that's uh, good. I think it's got to be Conrad at this point. Well, it's not Mark Cuban. We know that. Um, then there wasn't there one other thing he did. Oh, and then they added, they added the screening of the Tom McGee, Bret Hart match 
which was recently uncovered. This was apparently approved by WWE, according to Meltzer. Um, and I think that's just like an inspired, like that would be one event that I would want to go to on this StarCast uh, yeah. collection of, of panels or whatever they do. That, that's actually like kind of appealing. Yeah, it's the first thing that they've announced that when I'm going to be in Las Vegas for Double or Nothing that I've thought about going down to Caesars Palace for. I mean, I don't expect this match to be anything special. I feel like that the the fact that it exists is important as a former archivist that this this is out there and it's been found. And it's probably, I mean, the talk I feel like with Bret Hart would be more interesting. So I think yeah, I was going to say, I'll probably yeah. never watch this match yeah. in my life. No. But I would like to hear... Tom McGee and Bret Hart talk about the match and talk about their careers and how they, uh, you know, went in opposite directions. Uh, I just think that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I also think this shows that Conrad understands irony booking to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, he's gang affiliated. He's gang affiliated. NBK Eastern Block. They also added Kenta Kobashi, which that's pretty cool. I mean. Yeah, it's huge. Like, was that like his first signing since the ROH days? If he even did signings then? Yeah, I don't know. But it like if I were there and didn't have anything to I mean, I don't I don't need an autograph from Kenta Kobashi, but everybody knows I like a mark pick. And <laughs> uh, pick with Kenta Kobashi would be cool. I mean, would you be doing the fist or throwing up the uh, like showing off your bicep? I mean, what would be your pose with Kenta Kobashi, Aaron? You gotta do the fist. Yeah, you just gotta go fist up. Yeah. That's fair. Nate, you have thoughts on uh, what pose you should do if you take a picture with Kenta Kobashi? No pose, no thoughts. Um, so I just wanted to look, and I'm doing this on the fly, and see how Kenta Kobashi's uh, Twitter impressions compared to the rest of the people that have been announced. Because Real when I first saw it, well, when I first saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this is not an event appealing to a Kenta Kobashi audience. So Tom McGee, Got 44 retweets, 241 faves. Um, let's go down a bit more. Allie and Rosemary, Demon X Bunny team, got 46 retweets and 202 faves. Uh, let's see, David Crockett got uh, 17 retweets and 129 faves. And the reveal for Kenta Kobashi, 17 retweets and 199 faves. Hmm. So not, not doing as well as... Allie or Rosemary or Britt Baker um, doing about the same level as private party. Kind of brutal. I'm just, you know, it's a, it's a normal audience that hasn't watched all Japan from the nineties because they were playing outside in the nineties or something. (laughs) I just want to ask Kobashi about fortune dream shows and uh, see if I can uh, influence his Joshi booking for fortune dream. That's really all. Okay, no takers on that. So, nope. double or nothing after party. Let's talk it. Nate, you added it to the run sheet. So, what do you want to tell us about it? I just I thought it was very uh, funny that they announced the addition of Whitney Wright to this event, uh, an adult film star, and it's also sponsored by Blue Chew, which I think is about getting horny. <laughs> it's dick so, pills. It's dick, dick pills. <laughs> there you go. So I, you know, I it's about getting horny. Professional wrestling is back on American soil. We've got porn stars and dick pills. Like, this is it. It's back. Very family-friendly, Tony. Well, it's the after party. You gotta, you know, play to to all four quadrants. You gotta, you know, get a little something for dad in there. (laughs) 
dad is bringing their kids to double or nothing and saying, all right, kids. Yeah, it's time for you to go to bed. The show's over. Daddy has to go party. There's definitely a dad that's doing that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there probably is, but I don't know if that's a dad I want to be targeting in this. I mean, and Whitney Wright does also appeal to the work rate fans. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk BTE. Nate, give it all to right. us. All right. BTE for this episode, or for this week. This episode of BTE is titled Dead Friend, I think. Is that the title of it? Uh, maybe Dead Friend number one. Yeah, Dead Friend one or something. It opens with Kenny acting very cold in what is established to be his place in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. <laughs> Winnipeg. Winnipeg. His cottage. His, his cottage in Winnipeg. 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 <laughs> Uh, and somebody knocks at the back door. It's Cody. He enters through this back glass door. And throughout this segment, they really lean in on the idea that Cody has flown up from Atlanta to sit down with Kenny. So this must not be in Winnipeg. This must be them meeting elsewhere in Atlanta or in Jacksonville or something. Um, but I did not buy that this was Kenny's actual home or anything. Uh, but Kenny is selling that he's very stressed about Fighter Fest and the librarian. They're sitting like in the den of you know a nice suburban home or something um cody and kenny are agreeing that they do not want pretty peter avalon to be the librarian because that's who they believe the bucks want to be the librarian uh there's some funny banter here where they're talking about literally it's wcw it's wcw 2.0 so again they're sort of lampshading uh what tony Khan addressed in the interview about people thinking this is going to be wcw 2.0 uh in my position that would be good because wcw was good agree so, you know, there's there's too many cooks in the kitchen with all these executive vice presidents. So Kenny and Cody, they make a pact to counter the young buck, the young bucks who always agree with each other because they're brothers. They want Leva Bates to be the librarian. A lot of uh, gendered comments from Cody here. Yeah. SMH. Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't know, didn't take note of them. He just kept talking um, about how the librarian has to be a woman. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think the archetype of a librarian is uh is a woman. I mean, I kind of wasn't a librarian for a while. An archivist, <laughs> kind of librarian. You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, maybe it shouldn't be gender coded, but yeah. I, I don't think he's uh, being counterfactual and saying that it is. God, we had this awful male librarian at my high school <laughs> for my senior year. Really hated him. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my librarian was related to Chris Hulse, the, uh, or Tom Hulse, sorry, Tom Hulse, which means that I'm two steps away from Kevin Bacon. Because of the movie Animal House. Mm. That's the, all. All right. The the holes. The holes. Man. Yes, the holes are men. Well, I was in the uh, the college concert committee with Molly Matheson, the son of Tim Matheson from Animal House. So there's my Kevin Bacon connection. Wow. Well, there yeah. we go. Anyway, <laughs> so. I mean, but there are probably other Kevin Bacon connections, but that I think would be the shortest. Uh, mm. So we've got Matt and Christopher Daniels right now meeting up with Peter Avalon. Uh, this is where they are pitching him on being the librarian and hiring him. Um, so they hire him, decide that he should be the librarian. But Christopher Daniels emphasizes Cody is not the money guy. So anything you heard about getting millions of dollars, that's not happening. <laughs> but that we didn't talk funny. about the millimeter Peter joke. Uh, that, that was a Kenny joke in the previous segment. Yeah. Or no, I think it was. a. It was. Yeah. yeah. And then Cody said like, about his dick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just very funny. Cody has the funny line reads yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I thought this this was funny that 
they established that this segment of the show happened in the same venue and uh, setting as the Peter Avalon segment last week. But in time on the show, it happens after the Kenny and Cody segment, which is also established as happening after last week's segment. So it's just funny how they're playing with time, I thought. Yeah, I'm not going to try to plot this out. Just, you know, they they view the show, but, you know, it's it's sort of fake pro wrestling uh, chronology. Um, all right, so we've got Sammy Guevara. He's obnoxiously ringing a bell. He's knocking on a door. It's a, a nice-looking house, suburban McMansion. Uh, and he enters, and it's his mother's home. He gives his mom a T-shirt uh, because he's always hawking his merchandise. This is an ongoing thing in the Sammy Guevara character. Uh, so it's in this nice, you know, uh, probably Texan house uh, right in the entrance foyer there's a bench press which everybody noticed and yeah, that, was great. that was kind of makes me think that like I'm, I'm pretty sure sammy guevara has his own place from his vlog but it makes me think that oh he must live here sometimes um and then, then his mother also gives him a package that was delivered there so uh so sammy gives her the shirt then he leaves his mom just totally buries the shirt even she recognizes that when he's being nice she still thinks he's shitty uh, she's upset that it's not the new AEW shirt. It's not in her size. So she goes off on a rant about how Sammy is not her favorite son. Uh, and then there's a funny cut because she starts saying, I haven't smoked in 10 years. And so I just cut away from it. <laughs> Got some major mean mom vibes from her. And it was great. I'm not touching that. Nope, me neither. I, I'm, not, um, I'm not being weird here. I thought that she was a great character on the show. I mean, I wasn't the one who added the talk nope, about Dick Pills nope. on the show. Oh, Dick Pills, okay. <laughs> Um, so then we, we pull back and now it's Nick and Matt are watching this Sammy Guevara clip. Uh, Matt brings up the fact that Jericho were trying to suggest they break up as a team. Uh, this segment kind of felt like them dismissing this, uh, previous loose end of the Jericho trying to split them up story. They talked about how this was like the same thing that Cody, uh, attempted. So again, they're sort of acknowledging a maybe criticism of the story and, and doing that sort of make it less, uh, less annoying to you as a viewer. Um, so Matt and Nick are now talking about how, you, you know, he's not sure they're on the same page because they haven't been working and wrestling all the time with each other, uh, you know, uh, for the first time in like 15 years, uh, Nick, I delivery, Nick's delivery was like very dispassionate and like not super, uh, fired up in this, which I kind of entertained me. So Nick calls Matt over to the computer and says, Hey, let's check out the, uh, the private party, this team that they decided to sign last week. So we get a bunch of high spots from Private Party here. Uh, the one in particular that stood out was they do a Rana off the top into a you know top rope to the floor avalanche RKO cutter, uh, which is just it. It's like a cool move, and cool moves are super important. But it is also like a very funny move because it's like obviously so uh, artificial and constructed. Um, so that move was funny to me. It's like Davy Edwards. A famous GIF spot <laughs> of the suplex over the to the outside of the ring. Yeah, yeah. I thought this video ruled. I liked how they kind of set this up. It was a good kind of old school music video that you would see on the MV zone, and got me really excited <laughs> for them. I thought that this and then the overall announcement video was some of the better work they've done. Yeah. So then they cut to uh, what's established or what's presented is like a club in Manhattan, and they uh, have a camera moving through some people. In the party, we see that private parties like in the VIP, uh, and they announce that they are all elite. And there's 
like a, a pan over to a graphic of them posted on the wall of this little uh, VIP section. And they play a nice Papa Buck jam over the announcement graphic, which is uh, very, I would love to hear a Papa Buck take on the private party characters. All right. We got to Joey Ryan. He's running the ropes. He's like, this is him, you know, uh, stealing himself up and trying to teach himself how to defend himself. Uh, he's running the ropes in a, in a ring. Uh, we see from a reverse shot that this is Logan Square Auditorium. So I presume this is for the freelance show that he was probably on. Uh, and there's a Candace toy. The Candace toy that he's been hearing talk is in the corner and it's, you know, giving him a pep talk and uh, telling him what to do. Because now that he's running the ropes, there are people approaching him from behind. They say, look out behind you. And Joey Ryan turns around and super kicks whatever guy happened to be standing in the ring. Um, so that was this segment. That's ongoing. Uh, and then we get a Kenny Omega segment. He's on the phone. He wants a bunch of expensive shit. He wants an F-14 Tomcat, the same one as Tom Cruise flew in Top Gun. Uh, this is for Fighter Fest, we conclude. Now we cut to Kazarian. He uses Siri to call Christopher fucking Daniels, who is reading some giant Fantastic Four comic book. Uh, they then add in Scorpio Sky as a third caller. He is on his bed smelling money and just getting a good whiff of that money stack. Uh, this is basically like a Budweiser ad where they're all saying SU a bunch, I think, uh, but they're they're plugging the SCU after party. Uh, I think Scorpio Sky takes Blue Chew in here, so he's getting horny. Um, and then they do some funny cuts here where they're all saying SCU, and they as they cut around to each other, they're all doing funny things. So Christopher Daniels is yelling it while a pug licks his face, and Kaz yells it while he's playing the bass. Scorpio's in the shower. They're pumping iron. Uh, Kaz is just like taking out the trash because he's moved on with his day. Uh, kind of cute segment. All right. Um, Matt Jackson is now in his home, sitting with his son. His son is watching some video that Hulk Hogan sent him, I guess. Canceled. Um, Hulk Hogan's canceled. Uh, no, the probably... son is canceled now. Oh, the son is canceled. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Wow. Sorry. Brutal. <laughs> I know. Canceled Not for even... life, too. Is he canceled as an adult, or is this a uh, a, a juvenile cancellation? Uh, yeah, he's young enough that when he turns eighteen, he his cancellation will be expunged. Okay. Um. So Matt, um, Matt gets a phone call. He ignores it. A lot of funny interplay here where people are ignoring calls. Uh, he checks his voicemail, and and somebody has called him from his credit card asking about a bunch of expenses. Somebody bought twelve hundred beach balls and. $3,000 and a 48 foot precision swimming pool wall lagoon and a jet ranger helicopter for like $350,000 or something and six separate properties at buyavilla.com. So Matt immediately susses out that this is Kenny fucking up fighter fest. So he goes to call Kenny, but Kenny ignores the call just like Matt did. Um, and then I think Matt calls Nick. And there's a funny deadpan cut here where Nick also ignores his call. But then Hangman calls Matt. Matt starts yelling at him about the single potato chip that we saw him eat in his home due to the spy camera installed by Pac. And Hangman reveals that he changed his whole life, moved his house because of this Pac surveillance camera. Um, there's a funny bit here where Paige is moving in his box and in the process of moving and he opens up the box and his puppy is in the box. And it starts climbing on him while he's on the phone. If you Want to get a laugh out of me personally? If you have somebody talking on the phone while a puppy is distracting them and climbing on them, as they did twice in this episode, I will laugh. Great puppy. Good dog. Strong dog take. 
Uh, so Paige is not full gear ready, uh, we learn. Um, and then they also reveal that there's another camera in Adam Page's brand new home. Pac beat him there. Um, so now... What's the payoff to the full gear? Uh, the, they're, they're going for basically the spot where Okada took off his entrance gear and revealed that he was in shorts and there was a giant pop. They're going for that, but with Adam Page's abs. But he was already in really good shape. Yeah. It's going to be hard to be like, oh, he looks a lot better than he did before. Well, Aaron, how familiar how familiar are you with Mid-Breath and its powers? I'm very familiar. Well, <laughs> well, I know that Kagetsu has the ad on her tights. It's just he, he has to compete against the great powers of Mid-Breath, which Pac has been a devotee for almost seven years now. Actually, longer than that, like 10 years now. Well, he's got time to catch up since Mid-Breath went out of business. I mean, uh, shot in mid-breath too soon. Jeez, I mean, <laughs> do you really want to go down that road? Good news for Hangman. <laughs> I'm just saying he's going to have to be like extremely cut. Oh yeah, yeah. For people to really, re- I mean, people are going to react to it because the story's over. But yeah, that's true. For it to be like an insane pop, he's going to have to be looking very good. I think he should come out in full uh, Kazuchika Okada gear and pull off like with the jacket and with like the. Uh, thing over his legs and pull it off and do it that way. I, feel I think like- you should take a blue chew and go full hog challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 is blue chew like sponsoring the overall promotion? I mean, they got some advertising time on the show. I don't know. I guess. Maybe. All right. The finale, we go back to Nick Jackson now who decides he's going to call his old British friend. Uh, so we cut to an iPhone ringing. The caller who we know is Nick Jackson is identified as a dead friend one. So we are to presume, I think, that this is Marty Skrull's phone because he has been saying in Ring of Honor, all my friends are dead. So is Marty Skrull returning to BTE here? Where is this going? We don't know. But this is, I thought, very interesting timing to do this now that we are within striking distance of the actual show, that now would be the time that they might reintroduce Marty or something. Well, do I mean, we? I know we know when his contract runs out with Ring of Honor. I just don't personally know when it is. I don't think we do know. I think we have pretty good speculation or something, but yeah, I don't. I don't remember anyway. Yeah, okay. I don't. This is remember. good. This is a good segment. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> the one that started saying things that we you say know. we know and we that don't know stupid. it. I just thought hopefully between the two of you, one of you would know. Okay. Poor choice on my part. I'm sorry. That's fair. Right. That's fair. Anyway, uh, obviously Marty show is going to show up in AEW eventually. Uh, we just don't know when. I don't know if he's going to show up. I'm still, I'm still writing that. I think he's going to WWE. I mean, I hope he does. I'm not a big Marty fan. <laughs> I, I mean, Joey Ryan's getting WWE action too. So who knows? I would like to, uh, you know, RIP Marty, but um, I think he's going to end up here with his buddies. As long as it, like this is still a successful thing by the time he finishes up with Ring of Honor. That's fair. Sure. Cool. Is that it, Nate? <laughs> That's the end of the show, yeah. Okay. Well, great job recapping, as always. Thank you. Uh, I don't have anything else. You guys got anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I need to get some dinner. I yeah. I, I would like to state again, second week in a row, that we support Tokyo Cyber Squad on this program. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm split about uh, Konami here because she's being very mean to Queen's Quest. She's being, she's coming from her heart, and she has a lot of steam to be let off, you know. 
I think I might stay with the safe pick of Oedo Tai. Okay, that's fair. This is the first time Nate has ever uh, even vaguely supported me. This is, this feels very good. How is supporting Oedo Tai supporting you? He didn't say Kings. He didn't say Queen's Quest. He was mad that she's being mean to Queen's Quest. So this is all Momo's fault. Okay. No. If no. Momo. No, it's not. If Momo did not draft an injured person in front of when she could have drafted Konami, then they wouldn't be in this situation here. It's a uh, draft I mean, for a full year, Mike. She's going to be back soon. I was going to take the injury. Oh, 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 I mean, do we know that Kagetsu was going to do that? That's all I've got to say. Well, she was leading Momo to believe that. Well, if and buts. <laughs> uh, okay. I know that everyone liked the stardom segment at the end of the show last week, so I'm glad we could bring a little more stardom comment content. Yeah. But yeah, I'm tired. I'm, I'm probably going to go to bed, Nate. Uh, Ten hours of driving over two days and uh, wow. two two hours of just excellent K-pop content uh, has just worn me out. I don't blame you. Um, I really, my whole day at work today extremely felt like a Friday, and it was not Friday, so tomorrow's going to suck probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it sucks because I you know, didn't work for two days, and I, that means I really need to get things done tomorrow, and uh, it's probably going to be hard, so. We'll see how that goes. All right. Well, I guess that's it. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. You can find Nate at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya with two eyes. And make sure you're uh, subscribed to the show, rate and review, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week with plenty more content from the uh, extended All Elite Universe or whatever Nate says that is funny and I like. For Mike, that was a Mikeism, but thank you. Yeah, that's me. It's the elite ended right. universe. I'm sorry. I'm just giving away things. Uh, that's it for Mike, for Nate. I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time. I can't-